Good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Centerpoint, and I'm glad you're with us today for our next installment in our series called Training Camp. They're all kind of football teams that have been in training camp over the whole month of August, getting ready for the season. It's about ready to kick off, and we're excited about that. And one of the things you and I expect is that when they finish and come out of training camp, that these teams come out unified. We expect the offensive line to block together. We expect the defensive unit to work together and make adjustments uh, that make sense. We expect the special teams to actually show up, and many times that's what loses the whole game. You can have this great game, and all of a sudden somebody runs a punt back at the end of the game, and then we're all mad for a month. Anyway, but the whole idea, these things happen in a training camp. The uh, athletes are coached. They learn about endurance. They learn about strength and conditioning, and they learn to work together as a team. Well, that's not only true in football, and it's not just smart to have a training camp in football so you're ready for the season. It's true that we need this in life as Christians as well. Inside your bulletin, you will find an outline uh, where I'm going today, and we're going to be talking about brotherly love, about teamwork. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, said this was absolutely essential for all of us to develop if we're going to be useful as Christians. Does that matter? Well, if you need a pen, by the way, raise your hand. One of the ushers will bring one to you if you didn't grab it on the way in. Just up in the right-hand corner, someone wants you to write this reference down. This is not in your bulletin. I've I don't know why I forgot to put it in there. I just did. But Ephesians 2.10, if you could write Ephesians 2.10. It's not on the screen. You're just going to have to listen to it here. But one of the things that is so important for us to understand is that God has designed us uh, with good works in mind. In fact, in Ephesians 2.10, Paul wrote this. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's workmanship created to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, if we're going to actually get those works done, it would seem to make sense to me, and it seemed to make sense to Peter, to emphasize the fact we'd be smarter to do them together than on our own. Peter, the guy who's going to read, uh, we're going to quote from him quite a bit today when he's talking about how to get our lives in shape so we're useful. He's also the one that says that we have an adversary, the devil, who's like a roaring lion prowling around looking for souls to devour best way to devour you and me is get us culled off from the herd. Now I don't have any support, nobody praying for me, I'm not looking out for you, I can get easily picked off. The whole idea of training camp here is so we'll be useful, use our time well. So these are words of encouragement today, this is a pep talk to remind us that God has things for us to do. Now the first verse on your outline, 1 Timothy 4, 8, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better promising benefits both in this life and the life to come. When you and I get this right, not only will this help us in this life, this helps prepare us for heaven. And when God uses us to accomplish his work, well, my goodness, you and I might be involved in somebody coming to Christ or a whole family. You and I might be the doorway where a whole family comes to the Lord or a whole business, a whole neighborhood. Who knows? So today I want to talk with you about the importance of of brotherly love. It's something that we all need, and it's something we all need to practice. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for the day. I thank you for your word to guide us. It is our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And Lord, it matters what kind of faith we do practice. Pray that today, Lord, you'd speak to us about loving each other. We can't be of much use if we're off by ourselves. Can't get very much done. We certainly aren't going to be of much use if we're cutting each other down. So, Lord, I pray that you will speak and move me out of the way. Teach us what we need to know about brotherly love today. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, amen. 
Point one in your outline is this. God wants us to live godly lives. He wants us to look like him. We started this whole series, and I want to remind you again that, that you and I are not saved just so that someday after we die, and if I'm saved when I'm 20 and I die when I'm 80, i got 60 years to stand around waiting just hoping uh, you know, it's good weather and that I enjoy football or whatever else my passions are. And I got to wait around 60 years till I die. There's nothing to do. I got saved 60 years ago. Other, now I just, I just live like everybody else. That's why we read that passage. No, God has good things for you and me to do. We're not supposed to just stand around. And this whole series has been talking about Peter. One of Jesus' disciples said, hey, here's some things you need to add to your faith. And God's given us what we need so we can grow. This is our key passage for the whole series, 2 Peter chapter 1. We'll start with it again. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he's given us great and precious promises. We'll share a couple of those in a second. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature. Please underline, underline that, to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. When you and I ask Christ to come into our lives as a follower of Christ does, he changes us from the inside out. He empowers us to become the people he wants us to be. You'll see this in the first of two promises we're going to hit this morning. Every week we're hitting a couple more promises. The first promise that God gives us when he want, because he wants us to work as a team and to love each other is this. God promises us to give us God promises to give us love for each other. Now this is important. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. We hit this verse a couple of weeks ago when we talked about self-control, as we did the next verse too, but it's true for both. Galatians 5.22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you and I are going to get along and work as a team and love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm going to need love and I'm going to need patience. I'm going to need kindness and so will you. I remember it was one of the, one of the more enlightening moments in seminary when we were talking about this in a pastoral counseling class, talking about how to care for people in a congregation. There was a young aspiring pastor who had never done any kind of pastoral work in a class with me. Um, and I had been in pastor work for a while, so I'd have a little more track time than he had, but he goes, well, well what happens if, if you don't like some of the people in your church? And the professor said, well, here's something that's helpful. Just remember there are many people in your church that won't like you. <laughs> now look, it's just the way it works. I grew up in a family. I mean, if we're brothers and sisters in Christ, the Bible says God wants us to call him father. He is our father. And so if we're his adopted children, he adopts us into his family, then you are my brother. If you're a follower of Christ and I'm a follower of Christ, then I'm your brother and you're my sister. That's the way the Bible talks. You'll see that over and over again. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. This is how we're supposed to regard each other. Well, in my biological family, I have four sisters and one brother, and we didn't get along all the time. Can anybody believe that? I mean, if you have trouble believing that, where did you grow up? I mean, kids fight. Kids get angry. You know what kids need to do? apologize, make up, work together on the next project. Just because we fought didn't mean we didn't have dinner together. Now we always understood, hey, we're one family. We can't let this drag on. We got to work this out. If you want to know the hardest things, the things that will break your heart as a pastor is when people come in, hey, would you pray for my relationship with my sister? Or would you pray for my relationship with my son? We haven't spoken in 12 years. I'm estranged from my kids. I'm estranged from my parents. 
heartache. And then another time, this would be another one of those things that shocked me the first time it happened. I've seen it now so many times, I'm more used to it. But I went to pray with somebody in the hospital. Uh, first time I'd, that it happened, I, I, just, I sat in the car afterward and just pondered on it. I'd gone in to pray with somebody. They were having an open heart procedure, and it was a very delicate operation. And they, it was like, you know, there was, there was a pretty high percentage, 30, 40% chance when people had this, they might die. And I was going in to pray with the person. I said, what can I pray for for you? Thinking, well, they're going to say, you know, pray I'll make it through this procedure. And they go, oh, would you please pray that my son would forgive um, his sister, my daughter, because they haven't been getting along. Would you please pray for me about that? Pray with me about that. And so we stopped and prayed about that. Anything else? Oh, yeah, you could pray for the heart procedure. It was a mom. You know what that mom wanted more? Their own health? She wanted her kids to get along. And if you have kids, you know what she's talking about. Now, as an earthly father, if that would be my greatest desire, as an earthly mother, if that would be your greatest desire, think about how much more our heavenly father, how much he desires that for his children to get along. And he gives us the love we need, but we're the ones who have to exercise it. And you'll see that in a minute. God gives us love, but we have to put it into action. I shared this a couple of weeks ago when my kids were small. You know, I'd put together a bike on Christmas Eve or other things for them, give it to them the next day. Well, they, if I gave them the bike, they're the ones who still had to pedal. They didn't put together the bike. I ran alongside them and held it, but they have to pedal. God gives us muscles. Our muscles won't go strong unless I work out. You can go to a training camp, and you can have the strength and conditioning coaches there. You can have the position coaches. You can have everything you need to understand your position, to understand teamwork, to, to build strength and endurance. You can have it all there. You still have to go to the practices. You still have to go to the workouts for it to do you any good. And, the, and Peter says the same way. The Lord, through his Holy Spirit, he'll give us love. We've got to put it into practice in order for it to do any good. And God promises to give us that. Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God also promises to meet our needs so we can help each other. He meets our needs so we can help others. And God will generously provide all you need, and then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. The whole idea here is that when I'm part of a a family, my sister's in need, my brother's in need, I help share. If they need a place to stay, I offer a place to stay. If they're sick, I go see them in the hospital. It's what blood's thicker than water. That's what kin folks do. Well, if, I'm, if we're going to be biblical kin, then the idea is simply that we can't go around and just forget about each other. We have to be people who can work together and help each other. And God promises to give us all we need so we can do that. Here's a verse from 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God will generously provide all you need, then you'll have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Paul was writing in context right there. Paul was writing to some of the Gentile Christians to go help the Jewish Christians who were going through a famine in Jerusalem at the time. That's what was going on. And he said, hey, this would be a powerful way for you to demonstrate that you are brothers and sisters in Christ with some people you've never met. And this will result in God getting glory and you experiencing great joy. Philippians 4.19, Paul also said, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so God helps meet our needs, so we have plenty to give away. This is where our faith kicks in again. I mean, if God really gives us love, how would I know if I'm not, if I'm not willing to extend you love? If God really gives me patience, how am I going to know if I have patience if I don't try it out? 
How am I going to know God's going to provide for me if I'm never generous? And this is where our faith has to work. Peter said so. He said, God's given you everything. Put it into practice. And that brings us to point two. The more useful, I mean, the more brotherly love we show to each other, the more useful to God we become. I mean, you and I can tell right away if a team is running their offense the way they're supposed to on a football field. Everybody blocks in unison. You can tell a play is completely wrong and the team isn't ready when the quarterback turns around to hand off the ball and the running back runs behind him on the wrong side. And all of a sudden the quarterback gets sacked or there's a fumble or something like this. You'd know the whole play busted or somebody missed an assignment. I mean, we know it right away. Well, we know it in our Christian lives too when all of a sudden there are people who have big needs or there's opportunities and nobody's stepping up. Hey, why aren't you in fellowship with other people? How come you don't have any relationships with other people who share the same faith you have? And that's what Peter's talking about here. So in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. We talked about, and we've hit these over the last few weeks, Moral excellence with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with patient endurance, patient endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection. Please circle that. That's what we're talking about today. And brotherly affection with love for everyone. And so if you've been wondering, well, John, I mean, I know you're talking about brotherly love. Shouldn't we, aren't, doesn't the Bible supposed to say we're supposed to love everyone? Yeah, we're hitting that next week. Please come back for that. All right? The more you grow like this, so let's hit this just for brotherly affection today. The more you grow like this with brotherly love, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word for brotherly affection there, and you can write this in the margin, it's a, an old Greek word, a Koine Greek word, the language that the, the New Testament was originally written in. It's Philadelphia. And some of you know this, but the word Philadelphia, I mean, Philadelphia claims to be the city of brotherly love. Well, it's this word. And we're going to look at a bunch of passages today in the New Testament where that word is used. Brotherly love. If I'm going to live a life of brotherly love, what does it look like? But first of all, you understand that we're going to be much more useful. A team that works together is going to fare much better during the season than a team that doesn't. You might have some all-star running backs or some all-star linemen. You might have some all-star punt returners. But if people aren't, if the rest of the team, if nobody's carrying out their assignments in unison, it won't make a lot of difference. And this is something for all of us. And when you say, hey, do I want to be a part of this? The whole idea behind this series is, hey, God has good things for you to do. God has good things for Tom to do. God has good things for Susie to do. God has good things for you and me, each one of us, to do. And if it's, import, it's imperative, in Peter's mind, that we do these things together. Yeah, you've got to have knowledge. Yeah, you've got to have self-control. But you also have to have brotherly love. You've got to work on all this. If you want to be useful for Christ... I mean, Peter knew about this. Judas, one of the original 12, was a betrayer. I mean, Peter knew what that was like. He knows what it's like when you're not all pulling the same way. He says, hey, if you want to make a difference for Christ, brotherly love is essential. Christ had said this, if you flip your outline over, John 13, the night before he was crucified, Jesus washed his disciples' feet, got down on the floor, washed their feet with a basin, had a towel around his waist, dried their feet, served them as a servant would. And he said, look, I'm the son of God in the flesh, and I've come here to serve you, and I want you to have the same attitude when you serve each other. Right after that, he said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world you are my disciples. Would you read that last sentence with me, please? 
Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. One more time. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So if I'm going to practice Philadelphia, this is brotherly love. Another way to translate it is brotherly kindness. You want to prove to the world you're a follower of Jesus? I want to prove to the world that I really love Jesus? Well, act like it when you're around other believers. Prove that you're both part of God's family. And Jesus said, this is so important. This is what this is all about. And the whole world is attracted to that. I mean, in a dog-eat-dog world, what if you met people who genuinely cared about each other? What if you met people who genuinely looked out for each other and prayed for each other and served each other? Man, that is as attractive as it can possibly get. (laughs) Again, here's another pastoral counseling situation. We're coming up on Labor Day. A couple of months from now, we'll come up on Thanksgiving and then Christmas. And every time there's a holiday and there's big family reunions, I have somebody email me or several people stop by. I just stop by. I want you to pray for me. Now, what am I praying about? Well, I'm getting together with my in-laws over the holidays. And I go, okay, well, we're going to have a meal together. I go, are you afraid of botulism? I mean, what are we praying for here? And they go, no, the food will be great. But I hate going there because there's so much gossip and there's so much tension and nobody likes each other and I hate being around them. I just, I can't stand it. Would you just pray for me? Now imagine if people said that about church. You want to go to church? No. There's so much gossip. There's so much competition. There's so much backstabbing. And people are just pretending to love each other when they really don't. I hate getting with those people. I don't want to go anywhere near them. I mean, could that happen? Sure. It starts with you and me. I mean, what's my attitude? And when we go through some verses here, this word Philadelphia, I just looked it up. If you want to know where the rest of the outline came from, I just looked it up. It's like, hey, there's a bunch of verses that use this word about brotherly love, and it's pretty clear when it's unpacked, some things you and I need to be working on. So I put them under three headings. You'll see a bunch of verses here, just under three headings. And that's the balance of what I'm going to say this morning. Um, but I think they'll apply to all of us. First of all, if you and I want to practice brotherly love and be useful to God's agenda in this world so people know we're his disciples, then our love for each other must be sincere. Our love for each other must be sincere. Peter, elsewhere, in 1 Peter 1, 22, He's talking about Philadelphia again, brotherly love, brotherly kindness. He said, look, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Paul talked about this in Romans 12, and he unpacks it. Okay, well, John, what are you talking about? Well, Paul does a great job unpacking it here. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what's wrong. Hold tightly to what's good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Let me stop for just a second there and write a couple of these down. It's kind of a laundry list or a playlist, if you will, if we we're going to run some plays during the season. Well, what kind of plays are we going to run? Well, you could run to the left, run to the right, certain pass plays. These are bread and butter plays we're going to run over and over again. Well, here's some bread and butter plays for you and me as Christians. If we're going to practice brotherly love, here are a couple of them. First of all, we need to be authentic. Authenticity. Genuine love must be sincere, not just party pick stuff. Hey, I can't stand that guy. Nothing like that. I mean, this is the real thing. Could that happen 
in a church? Could it happen in any organization? Happens all the time. Are you and I going to participate in that or not? How about honoring each other? Did you catch that one there? Honor. Honoring each other means showing respect. You don't have to agree with everyone in order to respect them. I mean, we don't. I can disagree with you. You can disagree with me, but we can do it respectfully. We have conversations and learn. But my goodness, as many times we fail to practice this. goes on. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. God's people are in need. Be ready to help them. Always be ready to practice hospitality. Need to meet needs. Practice hospitality. I mean, these are real ways that I can show that I'm a follower of Christ. Now, some of us, we grew up in homes where hospitality was on display all the time. We might have had a mom or a dad. They loved having people over. Some of us grew up in homes where this was never, this was never modeled, and we're going to have to learn about this. The same way, some of us grew up in homes where people were very generous. Other, people, other times, people grew up with no resources and don't know anything about that. Some people grew up in homes where you might have had modeled for you something where somebody was very political and always trying to put the best face on everything, never being genuine, never being honest about anything. And now that you're a follower of Christ, this is going to be something you need to learn. But my goodness, think about the great witness it would be to everybody. Think how attractive it would be if we had a fellowship where people were honest with each other. We spoke the truth in love, and we were kind and respectful. And we helped meet each other's needs, and we showed hospitality. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who are weep. Again, not plastic, not party-picked stuff. Live in harmony with each other, and don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people, and don't think you know it all. Would you say that last sentence with me, please? And don't think you know it all. Turn to the person next to you and say it. And don't think you know it all. Okay? This is important. Hey, could this happen in church? Oh, yeah. Oh, you bet. It's called self-righteous. And you and I could be terribly self-righteous. What about humility? What about saying, wow, I don't know everything. Now, one of the things we've set up here, we've set up connect groups where we can have discussions, and it helps a lot if we do all these things in a connect group. Here's more. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, it's back to the needs again, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Please circle the word actions. Love is a verb. It's an action. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother, it's First John again, or sister, that person's a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we can't see? If I don't love you whom I can see, how am I going to say I love God whom I can't see? Come on. These are things we can work on. These are plays we need to run over and over again. And we've got to do it together. This is training camp. The whole idea behind this series is not to fuss at us, but to say, hey, let's get going. Let's work on these things. I mean, evaluate this list while you're looking at it. Has God been speaking to you about any of these things? Looking at this, does this convict you? Well, let's work on that. This is a time to get in shape. And then we'll be of great use 
and of more use as we go on. If we do this together, our church can be used by God to do amazing things. But what if we're prideful and think we know it all? And what if we're divided and competitive and we cut each other down at every turn? Sideline, hit the showers. No use. Now, I don't want you to just to take my word for it. Brandon and Pam Drummond sat down in front of a camera a few months ago. They had a real need, and their connect group stepped up in a big way to show them brotherly love. I'm Pam Drummond, and this is my husband, Brandon. And it's been a, a rough few months. Um, sorry, I'm not going to cry. Yes, I am. Um, my husband went through um, a difficult time with his health and had to had to go through two heart surgeries within three days, right? Yep. And the first day, he's, he's very, very stubborn, and he doesn't like people to make a fuss over him, doesn't like attention, so he he's like, oh, it's routine, no big deal, y'all just come up there, so we didn't really tell anybody about it, and I think the night before, I told my connect group to just be praying, but... Went in, it was just me and the girls for routine um, heart procedure. And then they came out after his surgery was over and sat me down and said, it's worst case scenario that there's nothing they could do for my husband short of a heart transplant. And I was all alone, me and the girls. And so they decided to get second opinion and talk with the, um, the heart surgeon, the, the, the other heart surgeons, the ones that do bypass, and decided he was not a candidate for bypass. There was nothing bypass to, and um, short of a heart transplant, there was nothing they could do for him. But um, so immediately I got on the phone, started calling members of our Connect group, and a lot, a lot of prayer, and they decided to go back in two days later. And... Uh, were able to perform a miracle. It was very high risk, and they did it. And this time, I wasn't alone. Small waiting room, and we had 99% of it full of just our connect group that were there for us. They brought snacks, kept the girls occupied, held my hand during the whole time that they were working on Brandon, because I just didn't know, you know what was gonna come from it, because it was just very risky. And we didn't have to go through it alone brought meals to us when we got home and he's on a very very strict diet now and they were making things that they probably wouldn't even eat themselves but they did it because they love us and it was wonderful and I just can't tell you if you're not I mean enough if you're not in a connect group you need to be because I could not have gotten through this without this friendship Yeah, you can applaud that, sure. Okay, is that heroic to make food that you don't want to eat? Well, might be. Looks to me, though, like it's just brotherly kindness. It's authentic. It's honoring. It's meeting a need. It's, hospi- it's hospitable. And it's done in humility. My goodness, what if we were all a part of something like that? Could I encourage you again, if you're not part of a connect group, get in one this fall. We're starting up. Groups all over the place. The whole idea is for us to practice this so our muscles grow strong. 
You're not going to find a better place where you and I can exercise the love God gives us, the patience God gives us, the joy he gives us than in a connect group. Please get involved. Point B, not only does God want our love for each other to be sincere, God wants Christian and brothers to practice, brothers and sisters to practice sexual purity. And you go, John, why are you smuggling that one in here? I'm smuggling that one in here because the word Philadelphia is used in the middle twice in the paragraph I'm about to read you. When you're talking about loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, it's talking about a pure kind of love like you'd have for a brother or sister. No motives. Not trying to manipulate anyone. Not trying to bust up a family. Nothing impure at all. I mean, Paul wrote about this to the Thessalonians. I was shocked, actually, because I didn't I had forgotten that this was the word for love that was used here. Listen to it. This is what Paul said. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you about by the authority of the Lord Jesus. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor not in lustful passion like the pagans who don't know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a Christian brother in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins. And as we have solemnly warned you, solemnly warned you before, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. But we don't need to write you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. Then people who are not Christians will respect the way you live. Could you underline that? If you and I love each other, this is an important way of indicating whether or not we're sincere about our faith and authentic, whether we will honor and respect each other. All I have to do is say the name Josh Duggar. I mean, if you don't know what that's about, go Google Josh Duggar. Christian hypocrite will be what comes up first. And I don't mean to pick on him. You can go back on evangelists, pastors, people who have fallen in this area of sexual immorality, boom, disqualified, no use to anyone. Remember, this is a training camp. How are you and I going to be useful? Well, we need to add that to the list. Purity. How are people going to believe we're following Christ if we live just like everybody else? We look at the same dirty websites, watch the same dirty movies, read the same dirty books. Suggestive and coarse jesting. Provocative clothing. I mean, look at the next verse. Anyone who loves another brother or sister is living in the light and doesn't cause others to stumble by what they watch, by what they wear, by what they say. I mean, come on, guys. We're in this together. We're a team. Remember, that's the point of this whole message. Pep talk. Let's go. This is an area in our lives we're not practicing. How's the team going to work together? And man, oh man, you want to disqualify the whole shebang? This area will do it. The whole team can get disqualified just by one player. Peter says this is serious. Paul says this is serious. We've got to work on this. God also wants us, point C, to keep on loving each other. Keep on loving each other. Where do I get that idea? Hebrews 13.1. Keep on loving each other. As brothers and sisters. John, are you sure you interpreted that rightly? Yes, I'm pretty sure. What do you mean keep on? I mean keep on. Not just for an hour. 
not just for a month. Keep on. We talked about endurance some last week. This is akin to this. But if I'm going to keep on loving someone, it means that, hey, I'm going to do this for more than a day. I'm going to pray for you on and on. That's the whole again idea again of connect groups. You can meet and you keep on loving each other. You build long-term relationships. It's not just about a program and a place to meet to go cover some questions or do a little bit of Bible study. This is about building real relationships that last. I hope you see the value in those. This is where, by the way, for sexual purity, man, if we do this, this is where we'll find accountability. This is where we'll find people who can help us and pray for us or with anything we struggle with. We have a great opportunity here. We need each other. Sure, the devil might be a prowling lion looking for souls to devour. But we have the Holy Spirit in us. We have God's word to guide us. And we have each other. And we can warn each other. And protect each other. And restore each other. Why would we want to miss out on that? When Peter preached the most famous sermon ever on Pentecost Sunday, just after the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the disciples, thousands came to Christ in one day. They repented of their sins. They were baptized. And here's what happened next. This is from Acts 2. And all the believers met together in one place. They shared everything they had, and they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. And they worshiped together at the temple each day and in homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And listen to this. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I'll bet the Lord did. People said, man, I want some of this. People who are authentic, people who honor each other, people who meet each other's needs, they practice hospitality, they listen and don't think they know it all, they practice purity, and they keep on doing it day after day, not just for an hour on Sunday morning. This is what God wants for us. If you desire that, this is what we need to pray about. This is what we need to put in practice. And I just encourage you so much to get in a small group. If you're a young couple, to get in a group where other young couples can participate with you so you can encourage each other and strengthen each other. If you're an older adult, the same thing. If you're empty nesters, same thing. Man, we can strengthen each other. God wants us to help each other. He's given us love, He's given us resources to share. We're the ones who need to put it into practice and build up some muscle. If we're sincere, if we're pure, and we keep on putting these things into practice, he can use us. Would you pray with me, please? God, I just thank you so much for Peter. I thank you for these wise words. I thank you for Paul and the encouragement he gave for John. I thank you for Jesus modeling what it means to love as disciples. And God, you just want us to love each other. Oh, Father, I just thank you so much for all the things you give us. I pray, Lord, that we would, we would always put you first and we'd look out for each other. In just a moment of silence, if the Lord spoke to you about something you need to work on from this list, if the Lord spoke to you about an attitude that needs to change in your life, would you pray about it right now and say, Lord, I heard you. I, I can't believe John was talking about that this morning. I heard you, Lord. I, please help me. Please show me what to do.
Lord, I just thank you that you're always more ready to listen than we are to pray. And you want us to develop. And that you've given us each other. I pray that we'll take full advantage of that. I pray that we'll build meaningful relationships and listen and pray and serve. I pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.